Auto dealers, are you missing the most engaged buyers because you don't know where to find them? At eBay Motors, you'll find buyers so motivated, they purchase a car or truck once every three minutes. Just call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, July 1st, 2022. I'm your host, Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, we've got some quarterly sales numbers that aren't so rosy. Hyundai drops more cars from its U.S. lineup. And could GM and Ford overtake Tesla's EV market share by 2025? Plus, a conversation about how dealerships can keep technicians and service advisors from leaving. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. The quarterly sales drop is underway. As expected, supply chain and production issues are driving down results pretty much across the board in the second quarter. Most companies will report today. A few won't come until next week. Top story so far, GM is back on top in the U.S. The Detroit automaker had long dominated the market, reigning as number one for 90 years before Toyota took the crown in 2021 powered by a three-quarter winning streak that started in last year's second half. But General Motors not only won the second quarter, it surpassed Toyota in year-to-date U.S. sales, with 1.09 million vehicles sold across its four brands. Toyota and Lexus combined to sell almost 1.05 million vehicles. In this supply-constrained market, the game is really about minimizing declines. GM sales slid 15% in the second quarter, 18% for the half, while Toyota slumped 23% in the quarter and 19% for the half. In other early results, Mazda plunged 43% in the second quarter, Kia fell 17%, Hyundai dropped 23%. Hyundai's luxury brand Genesis, which has a bigger lineup than it did a year ago, reported a 26% increase. We're expecting numbers from other automakers to keep rolling in throughout the next week or so. You can find the most up-to-date quarterly results at autonews.com. Jamie, you just mentioned volume dropping at Hyundai. The Korean automaker also just announced it's trimming its U.S. car lineup. It wants to focus on crossovers and its budding electric Ioniq sub-brand. For the 2023 model year, Hyundai will cut the Accent subcompact sedan, the Veloster N hatchback, and both hybrid and plug-in hybrid variants of the Ioniq compact car. The last sedan standing for the brand will be the Ioniq 6 all-electric midsize sedan that will go on sale early next year, as well as the midsize Sonata and compact Elantra. Hyundai says both of those models are still in demand in a market which is now dominated by crossovers. A new study says Tesla's electric vehicle market share will likely plummet in the coming years as incumbent automakers bring an onslaught of electric offerings to the market. The EV specialist is dominating the segment right now with a 70% share, but the annual Car Wars study from Bank of America Merrill Lynch projects that Tesla's share will fall to just 11% by 2025. Analyst John Murphy sees General Motors and Ford overtaking Tesla by then. This year's study predicts that about 60% of new nameplates by the 2026 model year will be either EV or hybrid. As GM continues that push to make and sell more EVs, it recently cut the price of the 2023 Chevy Bolt EV and EUV by about $6,000. But there was some confusion about what would that mean for customers who already paid more for those vehicles this year. Well, yesterday, Chevy cleared that up. 
The brand says it will compensate those customers. New vehicles from the 22, 21, and 20 model years qualify as long as they were purchased during this calendar year. That does not include leases. Retroactive incentives like this are rare. Automakers change prices and available discounts all the time. But this move suggests Chevy doesn't want to annoy early EV buyers before the much larger electric rollout that's coming soon. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, you said earlier that GM beat Toyota in first half sales, but Hannah Lutz has a story on autonews.com that GM is also making some changes to its sales reporting practices. What's going on with that? Yeah, starting today, uh, GM is no longer going to count vehicles as sold unless they are actually delivered to the customer. In recent weeks, in recent months, you know, they've been selling vehicles that are on trucks that are being shipped, that are on their way. And the problem is people start paying for the vehicles. They start their trial subscriptions, get started to get to try a satellite radio or OnStar. And in some cases, the whole trial period is running out before the person even gets possession of their vehicle. So GM wants to clean that up, probably make their sales reports a, a little more accurate. That's a pretty significant change. And as you mentioned earlier, Jamie, these are just the first of the quarterly sales numbers we're seeing as part of this drop. For the most up-to-date news on second quarter sales, you can go to autonews.com. Coming up, dealership service departments have not been immune from the great resignation. We're here from Ducker Carlisle Principal Eliza Johnson about what dealers can do to retain technicians and service advisors. That's next on Daily Drive. The most motivated car buyers aren't knocking on your door anymore. They're online, but you don't have to look far. You can find them at eBay Motors. Our platform features over 7 million engaged users. Our buyers are so engaged, they enter over 3 billion search impressions per month and buy a car or truck every three minutes. Today's car buyer has high expectations when they browse online. eBay Motors helps you meet those expectations. Use machine learning with our AI-driven vehicle pages, and you'll automatically optimize your buyer's experience. It's as easy as listing your inventory and watching as the most engaged buyers find you. If you've ever uploaded your automotive inventory to a website, you have more than enough skills to get your cars listed on eBay Motors. It will feel like you're setting up an entirely new car dealership within minutes. Once you list your available inventory, you'll have additional support from the platform, including a single destination page for your entire brand. Want to generate more sales automatically? eBay Motors lets you choose between auction, classified, and fixed price listing options so the site does the heavy lifting. It even integrates with your existing dealer or vehicle management system. All you have to do is list your inventory, sit back, relax, watch a movie, and then check back in to see the sales you've made. How do you start? It's as simple as creating an account. Call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Find out why selling cars has never been this easy. That number again, 866-210-5362. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Last year, 28% of technicians and 40% of service advisors left their brand. Aftermarket researcher Ducker Carlisle surveyed service managers to find out what they're doing to keep these vital workers from defecting. Spoiler alert, it's not just about the money. Eliza Johnson is principal at Ducker Carlisle. She spoke with Fixed Ops Journal editor Dan Shine about what dealerships can do to keep techs and service advisors from leaving. Eliza Johnson, principal at Ducker Carlisle, formerly Carlisle & Company, thank you for joining us on what I like to call our Fixed Ops Friday on Daily Drive. 
Thank you for having me. This is exciting. So Carlisle, well known for their great uh, surveys and benchmarking studies and all sorts of great information that they share about the aftermarket uh, industry, did their annual uh, service manager survey. And then out of that kind of spun a little white paper that talked about how service managers are trying to retain some of their critical staff, most of them being technicians and service advisors. I would like to cut to the chase and say, well, it's not all about pay, but it is always a little bit about pay. So talk a little bit about, I guess, first on the issue with with technicians and when it comes to how they're being paid and some of the concerns or gripes that they might have. Sure. Yeah, let's get right into it. And the the survey that we'll be discussing, by the way, is done annually with service managers across most all major auto brands, covers about, I think, 15,000 service managers. So pretty good sample size there. What we hear and see most often when it comes to pay, you know, if you if you ask both service managers and technicians, you know, why are service managers leaving? Why is it hard to recruit them? Pay is, of course, the first thing that comes up. So you've got to dig a little deeper beyond that. Pay is always going to be the first thing that everyone comments on. When it comes to pay, when we get into that a bit, more so even than the level of pay, the structure of pay is a big concern for many technicians. Flat rate obviously is very common across the industry and causes a lot of heartburn with technicians. There's also a lot of things in there that technicians don't get compensated for where they're spending a lot of their time, like on diagnostics. So the structure of pay is almost equally important as the level of pay. Um, Although, of course, the level of pay is critical too. And one thing that we see there with the level of pay, that's much more of a concern for newer, younger technicians uh, who may still be learning, who may not be getting, you know, the same number of jobs as more senior or experienced technicians. And they may struggle to achieve a level of compensation that is livable or satisfactory to them within those first few years without any changes to the compensation structure put in place. And one thing that we see with that is that altering the pay structure for all technicians could really be advantageous to make more of it, you know, potentially team-based rather than individual and, and flat rate. And also for those younger, less experienced technicians, something like, you know, a minimum guaranteed pay is something that really could make a big difference so that they know that they're able to hit a certain level, regardless of how much diagnostic time they have to put in or what types of jobs they get assigned um, in their first months and years. So those are some of the main things that we hear when it comes to pay and what the frustrations are there for technicians. And I think fixing those issues is really kind of the first thing and the groundwork that needs to be laid. But that's really not all it is when we see why technicians are leaving and why it's hard to recruit new technicians into the field. You have to dig a bit deeper beyond just pay, which is the first thing that everyone's going to comment on to identify some of those other issues too. Right. So when we talked last, I said money alone won't fix it. And, yep. and that's true. What are some of the other things that maybe would help 
keep technicians around besides pay or better pay? Yeah. So some of the things that we see when we say like, okay, set aside the pay issue and we ask service managers and technicians, set aside pay. What else is frustrating? What else makes it challenging in the day-to-day role or challenging to recruit? And some of the things that we hear then when we go, when we go beyond that, there's a few things. Let's kind of touch on some of them. So one is career progression and growth. This is definitely a challenge uh, and something that we see a big struggle for technicians today is that many of them coming into the field or that have been in the role for a few years don't see what their growth path looks like and feel that they're a bit dead ended. And in many other industries and roles, it's common to have kind of a clear path of what your milestones in your career are going to look like. For technicians, it can often feel like they're just going to be doing the same thing for years and years, and there's no real guidance provided to them. So providing a better sense of career pathing, what career paths could look like, and how to progress in each of those areas is something that's really important and overlooked today. So, you know, for instance, a technician has so many options. Either they can, you know, stay a technician for years and years, if that's something that's interesting to them. They can become a master technician. They may want to go into the field and do field support on behalf of the OE or their manufacturer. Maybe they want to become a service manager or a fixed ops director. So there's all of these other things that technicians can progress towards and do with their career that I think is not really outlined for them. And even if it is outlined, there's not much support provided of how to reach those different career goals. So that um, you know provision of kind of a career path or a map and mentorship on how to reach those career goals is something super important as well that that we just don't see happening for technicians and leads to a lot of frustration. So even if you get a new technician in the door, after a few years, if they're feeling that there isn't any progress made or any growth, uh, they're going to start to say, all right, what's next? What else can I do? You know, I'm not I'm not moving up here. I don't really see where where my future heads. So that that's one big thing that we see as a problem. And what are kind of in, innovative things did you learn that service managers are doing to kind of improve the culture around the shop? Yeah. So I think a, a, a couple of things. One, as far as the culture with providing that career growth and mentorship, putting in place a formal mentorship program for all new technicians, and even maybe for technicians that aren't new, but have been there for a few years and just haven't had any formal mentorship is something that we see the best dealers doing. And that's something that's really common in a lot of other fields is, you know, when you, when you join a new firm company role, you're provided a, a career mentor. It's something that many other industries do and have done for a while, but that really has not been done in dealerships. And we're seeing kind of smart and savvy dealers start to put those programs into place and having a lot more success with keeping technicians engaged and moving forward. So that's something that can be done at the dealer level. Additionally, when it comes to culture, you know, outside of just career growth and progression. I think there's also the whole culture aspect when it comes to creating a better team dynamic, because often technicians are kind of head down working on their particular assignments, and it can be challenging to feel like there's much camaraderie or part of a team when that's the work that they're that they're doing. So some of the other things from a culture perspective that we see 
um, you know, dealers who are doing a better job with hanging on to their technicians and recruiting new technicians are things that seem, you know, so simple or trivial, but really the small things count, like doing a team lunch once a week, you know, bringing in free lunch and getting the whole team together, having, you know, an offsite team event, like everyone going bowling on a Friday evening or whatever it may be. All of those things that, you know, really get overlooked because people think, ah, do people really care about those things? Do they, don't they want to just, you know, go home? Maybe sometimes yes, but also when you feel that camaraderie with your team and when you feel like they're are little things done like that to value you and give you kind of little perks here and there, like free food or an outing, those things really do make make a difference. And many dealers today do not do anything like that for their technicians. And a lot of techs are left feeling like they're just kind of, you know, slaving away and doing this grunt work and not getting any kind of camaraderie out of it or any sort of perks or, you know, uh, additional thanks. Let's switch a little a bit to talk about service advisors. Sure. Higher job satisfaction, but still a big turnover rate with them. What are some of the issues there and what are service managers trying to do to address those? Sure. Yeah, I'm glad you asked about this because uh, for me, this is starting to become, you know, even more potentially of a critical issue than technicians. I think the technician shortage has been top of mind for everyone for years now. But the good news is, is that many OEs and dealers have started to put a dent in those turnover rates. Um, and there's some progress being made there, at least, although the, you know, the shortage remains real. But with service advisors, we see that those turnover rates have been climbing and continue to climb, almost getting up to 50% across the industry for most brands at this point. That's a huge number. That's a really high rate to think that half of service advisors are leaving in a given year, especially since those are the people that really have the contact with the customer and the relationship with the customer. If, you know, if people are turning over half of them every year, how can dealers possibly expect to develop relationships with customers when there's no consistent person there? So this definitely is an issue. And I think for this, you know, the nature of a, the role of a service advisor is different than a technician. I think to some extent, higher turnover than with technicians may always be the case for service advisors. Many of these people have career aspirations in other industries, other sorts of customer service. And this is something that they you know, only ever plan to do for a few years, regardless of how happy they are. But even still, a lot of service advisors we hear from today are leaving because they're frustrated and dissatisfied, and they would potentially stay in the career for many years or stay and become a service manager, whatever it may be. And the things that we hear from them is that they often don't feel empowered to deal with customers' problems. They're not given enough autonomy to resolve customer complaints. And so they're left feeling like their hands are tied. And that's both, you know, from the dealer and from the manufacturer. And they also have a lot of frustration with some of the system and tools that are in place that cause, you know, delays in their job or things to go slow or them to fumble in front of the customer. So improving some of those tools and processes that happen with the, the customer processing or interaction is important too. There's a whole other set of issues with service advisors versus technicians, but the turnover rate really is starting to get to a point that's a little concerning. And I think that more effort needs to be put on service advisors too at this point and not just on technicians. Eliza, we'll leave it there. Thanks Great. so much for joining us as Eliza Johnson, principal at Ducker Carlisle. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Eliza Johnson is principal at Ducker Carlisle. 
She spoke with Fixed Ops Journal Editor Dan Schein. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. We'll be off Monday and Tuesday for the 4th of July holiday. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on Fixed Ops, quarterly sales results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.